I invite you now to take a Bible and to open it to 1 Corinthians. Again, if you're just uh, visiting us this Sunday, welcome. Uh, As a church family for this year, we have been going through each letter of the New Testament, looking at how it begins and how it ends. And so we are in 1 Corinthians now, and we looked at the first chapter last week. And rather than only reading uh, chapter 16, uh, partly with the celebration of a baptism this Sunday, we're going to read a little bit of 15 and then all of 16. And so if you're using one of the Bibles that was provided for you there in the pew, this is pages, uh, we'll start on 903 uh, and then get to 905, which is where the majority of what we read will be. But these are letters that have been written. And it's helpful, uh, just like if you were to get anything in the mail or if you were to get an email or a text, you'd want to read it all the way through. So even though we're only looking at how it starts and how it ends, we hope it's an encouragement if you've never read through the New Testament uh, to be reading through it and read all the parts that we uh, skip on a Sunday morning uh, to familiarize yourself with it. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul has been dealing with a congregation that has they have a lot of challenges. Uh, I mentioned last week there was uh, one book that I'd remember reading about 1 Corinthians that was titled 20 Controversies That Almost Killed a Church because there were so many things going on that Paul had to address that they just couldn't seem to get along. And so last week we saw the foundation that he laid for them in spite of all that conflict to remind them that they were the church of God that they were saints and sanctified because of God and that they should therefore enter into every conflict they might have with the foundation of God's love over them and love for them and love through them to be the foundation. Now we're skipping over most of those 20 different controversies that came up in the letter and you'll see that Paul brings us again right back to the foundations, the basics. He says, now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preach to you, which you have received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles." unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me, whether then it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed. And we'll pause there before we jump to the end of this chapter, but there Paul is coming back to say that this is of what is of first importance, the gospel that I preached, which baptism just visualized for us, that Christ died and was buried, and that he rose again for all of us. Now, uh, we'll pick it up in verse 54. He goes on to talk about how the resurrection gives all of us hope, 
not only in this life, but ultimately in an eternity with God. In verse 54, he says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. For a wide door for effective work has been opened to me, and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. And so let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they were devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence. For they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all. In Christ Jesus, amen. Even if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, hopefully that was enough to help you see just how personal uh, much of Scripture is. Uh, we don't know all of the details behind the names that were listed, but this is someone who can refer to friends who are with them and greetings that are sent from one person to another. There's relationships that uh, exist that create the context for which a lot of this communication has come. And so sometimes you can almost have in your mind that as Christians we believe that the Bible is a holy book, but you could then almost imagine that all of it is just this list of rules and do's and don'ts, and then you're kind of surprised when you realize this feels very ordinary. Um, wait a minute, the person who wrote it just said, hey, of everybody, like I'm the least of the apostles. I actually, I, I used to persecute the church of God. 
and that, that should make you lean in and say, wait a minute, who? <laughs> who is writing uh, something that we view as sacred scripture? Someone who used to be a persecutor of the church? Well, how now is he an authority in the church? And how does he have relationships with people when he used to be hostile to them all? And if all of that makes you curious, uh, take it as an invitation to read more. Uh, it is an amazingly fascinating book. And Paul's own story in particular uh, is a profound testimony of somebody who did not believe and did not want others to believe until he couldn't help but believe. And when his life turned around, then he committed his life to help other people believe. And so now Paul is many, many years removed from the story of his testimony, but he wants to remind the church in Corinth the basics of the gospel, that these basics of the gospel, that Christ has died for us, that he has risen again for us, that we could never be good enough on our own, but he was good enough for us, is not something that's sort of like kindergarten, you know, you move on and maybe you remember what you taught, but you say, you know, that was back then and now I'm at a much different place in my life and, and I just don't even need that anymore. I need new things to challenge me. That's not how the gospel is. For Paul, uh, the gospel is something that we never outgrow. There's never a point in our lives when we don't need it and when we don't need to be reminded of it. And so even though he has addressed throughout the letter challenges about marriage, challenges about how people are getting along with one another, challenges in the workplace, a whole variety of things Paul has had to address in this letter, he comes back at the end to where he started, which is to say, listen, the foundation and the, the basics that all of us need to be able to address those issues is a right understanding of who God is and what he's done for us. Because it's in being reminded again and again, listen, we have nothing to prove. We only have a message to proclaim. We are not now trying to get our own way. We are looking for opportunities to serve. If we have that attitude, that will transform our relationships with one another, our marriages, our workplace relationships. When instead of doing all of those things to try to earn favor with God or earn a sense of notoriety or respectability, we say, no, 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 listen. God had to send his son to die for me just like you. And so who am I or who are you to think that we are better than anybody else? We're not. We're called to love them. We're called to serve them, but nothing we do is supposed to be done out of a desire to be seen as better or to give the impression as being superior or better than anybody else. And do you know how much time we would save if we all stopped trying to do that? You know how much time we would all save if we stopped trying to make ourselves look or appear better than we are was a former president of our nation, I can't remember exactly which one, who said uh, so much more would get done in our world if nobody cared who got the credit. That oftentimes people can actually come together and come up with good ideas and good solutions for things and it ends up falling apart because personalities get involved where now what is not being dealt with is the problem and the solution, but everybody's fighting for 
a sense of notoriety or accomplishment or recognition. And so how much time in our adult lives, many years removed from our maybe initial testimony, could we all save if we kept trying, stopped trying to make ourselves look better than we are? And if we were all just glad to love and serve and care and didn't really care who got the recognition or the credit. See, the gospel is something we never outgrow. And as Paul wanted to remind the Corinthians of these things, not only for their sake, he's reminding himself of his story. Hey, I'm the least of the apostles. I'm, I'm right there with you. I need to remember that the only hope I have in life and death is that Christ died and was buried and rose again for me. We all need that. We need his grace today and every day. And so when we sing the song, Lord, I come and I confess, bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart. You're the one who guides my heart. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. Uh, Kayla, that will be a song that you sing for as long as you live. It's a song that I need to sing for as long as I live. There is not an hour that I do not need him. And I submit that you're maybe a little bit more like me in that regard than you might uh, be comfortable admitting at this moment. We need him every hour. And so we need to remember the basics and not feel like we've graduated from them and we can move on. But then as it switches from the, uh, the 15th chapter where he reminds them of that and reminds them of the hope of heaven that that gives us that because of the gospel, death has lost its sting. We have a future inheritance that is better than anything that can come our way. He switches from the basics of the gospel to then starting to describe habits of grace that we can form in our lives. And so we need this message. We need to be reminded of it but then all of us also need to develop habits in our lives to help us remember, to commit to doing things in a regular way that they just become characteristic for us, they become natural for us. And maybe when people even think about us, these are the some of the things that come along with it. And so he intentionally uses the word here about grace when he talks about, in verse 16, now concerning the collection for the saints, I directed the churches in Galatia on the first day of every week that each one of you put aside something and store it up and be prepared to give. And what is he talking about? Well, Paul is somebody who, as he had shared, had persecuted the church before. Most of that persecution took place in and around Jerusalem. Now he's traveling all around the Mediterranean, planting new churches, but part of what he is doing is telling all of those new churches, you have brothers and sisters you've never met who are going through a really hard time. Part of the hard time they're going through is partially my fault. Like I was, I used to be one of the leaders of this, but they are suffering. And because of the suffering that they've gone through, many of them have had to flee and go to different places. I was actually chasing them when I encounter Jesus. And so the people who are still there are often some of those people who just couldn't get out. They didn't have a place to go. And so I'm asking you, for brothers and sisters you've never met, would you be willing to share some of what you have so that from each of the churches that are now being started, 
there would be a generous expression of grace in the form of financial offerings that then can be taken back to Jerusalem and say, I know you're going through something hard. You don't even know who these people are, but they heard about what you're going through and they want to support you. They want to bless you. And here, Paul says, I'm telling you in Corinth what I told them in Galatia, which is what? On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. When I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it seems advisable that I should go, they'll accompany me. So there's two habits already being described. Getting together the first day of the week as a community of faith. Get together weekly. Let that become a habit of yours as a follower of Jesus to spend time with other followers of Jesus. Also make it a habit as you get together weekly to weekly set aside something that you can over time. So in your mind, don't say, oh, I really do intend to give, and I know what it will be, and in six months I'll do it. What he's encouraging them is what's actually better for your life and for mine is to develop a habit that becomes a rhythm, that becomes automatic. Now, again, uh, this isn't a law. You continue into 2 Corinthians, and you'll see Paul sort of clarify, listen, I'm not trying to guilt anybody into this. Um, God is looking at your heart like he's looking at my heart, and it's our heart that matters most. But what he is encouraging is basic wisdom for all of us to receive. Don't tell yourself you'll do a good thing one day. Do the good that you can today. And then tomorrow, do the good that you can tomorrow. And then the next day, do the good. Do you know how often you can let yourself get away with things by telling yourself, I'm going to start something good, like in a week? Like for me, that was almost always related to eating. You know, I'd say, oh, okay, listen, after like Christmas, I promise I'll, I'll stop eating cookies. And do you know how often then that would just give me this open invitation to eat as many cookies as I wanted? Because I knew in my mind that in a week, I'd stop eating them. Instead of saying, maybe I should just have a few less cookies today. And then the next day, again, maybe I, should, maybe I should probably have none. So I had a doctor's appointment in January, and my doctor said, do you eat healthy? And I said, no, I need you to tell me how unhealthy, though. And so she was kind, and she said, I will. And then she said, yeah, you need to stop eating cookies. And I said, bummer, I love cookies. But as I looked back and said, yeah, I so often can create goals or strategies that this is when I'll do it, and this is how I'll do it, and it usually is just a creative way to cover the fact that I have no intentions of today being obedient. And so what are the habits that I need to change over time to ultimately be healthier and better? And so one of these habits is just getting together. How are we going to know what each other needs? And how are we going to know what each other's going through if we don't see each other very often? So part of just committing to showing up is... One week, you might find out somebody's had a great week, and you're joining in their celebration and joy. And the next week, you might find out somebody's going through a really hard situation. You had no idea, and you wouldn't have known about it had you not been spending time with them. And then the next week, you get together, and it's 
It's a habit that is formed that allows for people to share life with you, to hold each other accountable. When you're discouraged to pick people up, when you have something to celebrate, that there's a, a party that you can enter into in the goodness of that. We need habits formed over time that encourage this grace in our lives. When it comes to generosity, it's the same thing. Don't tell yourself one day you'll give a lot. Be totally comfortable giving a little, but give a little bit over time. Uh, we, we talked about this even as a staff, and every one of us said, I remember as a kid going to church growing up that there used to be a can that was passed around, and I remember as a kid being excited to have a quarter in my pocket to go to Sunday school and to put it in that can. And so all of us were like, yeah, yeah, I remember doing that. I remember that. And we're like, do we do that? Wait, no, we don't do that. Why don't we do that? If all of us remember the joy that that was and the habit that that created, why don't we start passing a can? We don't want to make anybody feel guilty if they can't. Uh, last week, we totally forgot to give our kids any money to put into Sunday school because it's not a habit we have yet, so they were mad at us, so we put a post-it note in the kitchen this morning to bring it, and we forgot it again. And we're like, oh! And so they're mad at us for not having something to give them to put into the offering box. And so we're like, okay, yes, we're out of habit, and we will get back into habit. And it might be a dime one week, and it might be $5 another week, uh, but we just want to create a habit in them of the goodness of giving. And then at different points in time, when something comes up that they really need to give to something, it's a habit, it's, it's a muscle they've already been working out. And so instead of doing something they've never done before, that they'd be doing something that they've done so consistently, so naturally, they don't even quite think about it uh, in any unique way, any different than like we pray before we eat. That's a habit. Is it a rule? No. But if you combine habits with food, you'll find out you do them very often. And it's a good way to do things time and again. Uh, there was a, a blessing in my life yesterday. We went for a walk. Uh, tonight we will go and celebrate Mother's Day uh, with Amy's mom. And so I said, Amy, tonight let us like get something that's a treat for you and um, pick something that you want. And so she picked something that she wanted and then uh, from a restaurant where I knew that she also likes the cake from, and so I was like, oh, let's also get you the chocolate cake that you like from there. And the kids, believe me, they will love to share cake with you for Mother's Day. So nobody will complain if you do that. And if you're wondering how this goes with what I said earlier, I had no cake. Uh, so I didn't have any of it. But we got it. <clears throat> we ate dinner, and then we went for a walk, which uh, as we were walking then, uh, one of my sons just kept, uh, testing the limits of listening. And so I said, hey, like, cake is in play if you don't start listening. Like, you know it's there, and we want to enjoy it. And, and we did probably like a mile and a half walk or so. <clears throat> and so with multiple attempts to like, please listen, I don't want to take this away. Please listen, I don't want to take this away. Um, the, the last thing that happened sort of pushed it over the edge. And I didn't want to but I just felt the responsibility of a parent to say, hey, I'm sorry, but I gave you like five chances. You get no cake. Your mom gets it. Your brothers get it. You don't get it. And so then while they're all eating cake, I'm sitting down with him and we're talking. And I said, I really want you to understand what the final straw was. 
in every instance when there was an opportunity and I was telling you you did something wrong, do you know what I never heard you say? Once. And he knew. He said, I'm sorry. Yeah. I never heard you say, I'm sorry. Whenever you know you did something that you should say sorry for, you're tempted to get angry or to come up with an excuse. And you're tempted to do that because you think it's going to be easier, it's going to be quicker, but actually the best thing always is to say, I'm sorry. And it's my job to help you learn how to regularly say, I'm sorry. Got it? Not mad at me. Sad. Not mad. Then his brothers come over. And one of them says, hey, Dad, I left part of my cake that I would like to give to my brother if I'm allowed to give it to him. And I just wanted to cry. Yeah. I instilled what I believed was an appropriate discipline that I did not want to. And when somebody came in and said, I want to share with something that you've given to me, who am I to say he can't share it? And that made his then younger brother say, I've left some too. And it was amazing to witness. It's a grace that was extended. Shouldn't we all encourage one another to form whatever habits we can to become more gracious over time? To come alongside people in their needs, in their discouragement. Paul is finishing this letter and he's reminding them of habits. And then he also gives them some closing characteristics of faith. And I need to make this quick. So he actually, first he goes on to describe his travel plans from verses 5 to 11. The fascinating thing here, maybe Brad will cover this next week in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, almost everything Paul said about his travel plans never happened. He says, this is what I want to do, this is where I want to go, this is how long I want to stay, and we'll find out in 2 Corinthians almost nothing happens the way Paul had described it here in chapter 15 and 16, which is then a good reminder to say, oh, as a person of faith who understands the gospel, even as someone who has formed habits of faith, you will still make plans that do not go the way you were thinking. Because you or I never become God, we never know the future, and so Paul makes these plans His intentions are sincere and good and right. He wants to do everything he said he was going to do. And we eventually find out almost none of it happens. James, another writer, tells everybody, listen, you can make your plans, but make sure you always say, if the Lord wills, we'll do this or we'll do that. And so even when we have the gospel rightly understood and embraced in our lives and we have habits of grace, life still happens to each and every one of us. And very rarely does it actually work out according to all of our plans. And so what we need are characteristics of faith that we live out when everything changes around us. When things don't go the way that we were hoping for them to go. What are some of those characteristics? Verse 13, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, and let all that you do be done in love. 
The phrase act like men is not meant to be for men only. We could translate it literally also act courageously. Act like adults. You're going to face a situation that comes to you that says, this is not what I was wanting. This is not what I was hoping. I'd actually now, I'd rather not even be in charge. I'd rather somebody else be in charge. I would, I would love the freedom to not have to make decisions about this situation. And he's saying, no, 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 stay in charge. You're still an adult. Act courageously. And in those moments, rightly, if it requires bravery and courage, it's probably something that's making you afraid. Don't let the fear stop you from acting, and don't let the fear stop you from loving. And so, act like a grown-up. Be strong. Well, how am I going to show that? By doing everything you need to do in love. Don't let go of that. Just like you never outgrow the need of the gospel, we will never outgrow the reality that what we all need the most is love. And we need strength to do it, and we need to be watchful. So much of this is actually borrowing from metaphors of the military. You know, sort of stand your guard, your watch, and make sure you're ready in case something happens. And so it's sort of building us up, but then also saying to us, listen, you don't know how the circumstances are going to change, but they're going to change. You can't know how they're going to change, but you can commit to the habits that will form a character that will then be a certain type of person when those moments come. So don't neglect the habits because you're going to need to walk in faith and not by sight in a whole variety of situations. And you don't want in those moments to look back and say, whoops, I didn't have any habits to prepare me for this moment. And so part of the goodness uh, of a day like today and celebrating a baptism as a unique thing, as Kayla and I talked, we also said this will be a unique thing, but what follows from this is then finding many different ways to tell your story and your testimony, many different ways to love and serve people, uh, to develop those muscles of faith over time, not knowing what her future is going to include, but knowing as she already should, uh, said in her testimony to us that she has learned that whatever is going to happen and whatever is going to let her down, that it's ultimately God who will always be with her. And I even think sort of back historically, so Kayla, I haven't shown you this, but uh, as I was preparing for today and the goodness of it, uh, I was thinking a bit about, because there's a connection between our families, of the habits of grace of people before us. And so uh, when she had asked about uh, her grandfather being able to participate in the baptism, I thought of the joy of that, but then that also reminded me that it was his father, your great-grandfather, who was a minister of the gospel and who committed himself to regularly getting together and helping lead people of God uh, to develop these habits over time and exhibit the characteristics of faith that would be necessary. And so I found, after my grandfather had passed, who had baptized me, his name was Stevan, or Steve, um, after he passed away, I got this card that was when he came from Zemun, Yugoslavia, to the United States, and he needed somebody to vouch for him, somebody to speak of his character, and to allow him to continue on doing the things that he had been called by God to do. This card is signed by your great-grandfather. 
And so it says, this is to certify that Stevan Nenadov is a duly ordained minister and elder from Yugoslavia. He's authorized to serve the spiritual needs of all recognized apostolic Christian churches of the United States and Canada to preach the gospel, to conduct funeral services, to perform marriage ceremonies, to visit the sick and distressed. All courtesies extended will be appreciated. Signed, March 7, 1971, Fred J. Tiffin. That was one person signing their name to another, much like Paul was saying to the church about Timothy and other people. If you commit to getting together regularly, if you're open to sharing life with one another, encouraging each other in your habits, God willing, the characteristics of faith form that pass on from generation to generation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace that we always need, that we never outgrow, and that you are always so abundantly willing to share with us. We thank you for the hope that it gives us that we can even today look at the future of when all of us will stand before you in judgment. And by faith, we can say that death has lost its sting, that the grave has lost its victory, that we don't have to fear standing before you. And so we can stand strong now and firm and act with the courage and the bravery that is needed for the challenges of our day. Lord, we pray that you would help make us immovable and always abounding in love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.